1: This is
2: the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I have spent probably uh, accumulatively several months in Hong Kong going all the way back to the late 1970s. It used to be one of my absolute favorite places on earth. It's an extraordinary city. It went through a major change at the end of the 90s when it was handed back over to China in part, but it was supposed to be semi-autonomous. Uh, This seems to be breaking down, and Mike Pompeo has just, uh, the the New York Times is reporting, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced on Wednesday that he told Congress that the State Department no longer considered Hong Kong to have significant autonomy under Chinese rule. This is a huge story. This could presage not just local crises in that part of, of the world, But frankly, this looks to me like the beginning of the classic Thucydides trap here. I wanted to get somebody out who really knows what they're talking about in this context. Wilfred Chan is on the line with us, a contributing writer with The Nation magazine. He was a reporter in Hong Kong, covered the Umbrella Movement there uh, for quite some time. He's now based in New York. Wilfred, welcome to the program, and thank you for being with us. What is the significance of what Pompeo just said today?
3: It's a disaster for Hong Kong. And a lot of people are, you know, thinking that this is a way for the United States to show its support. But what it's really doing is giving away any remaining leverage that it had. You know, as you pointed out, Hong Kong is sort of this in-between semi-autonomous place that really functions as an interface between uh, the East and the West. You know, it's really for the purposes of capital. And for the 23 years since 1997, Hong Kong has been kept in this strange position by China and the U.S. Uh, because of the mutual benefits uh, that these two major powers get from having this sort of in-between intermediary. So, you know, what happened recently the last uh, couple of days was this national security law that uh, China announced unilaterally that they're basically going to criminalize dissents in Hong Kong which effectively says that this is no longer a separate legal jurisdiction. This is basically the same as China, um, which was, uh, you know, a, a really kind of a shocking and sad moment for Hong Kong people who have been fighting for democracy for so long. Right. But that also called the bluff of the United States. And what the U.S. is now doing, I think, is trying to basically save face. But it's really just affirming what China already did with the announcement of the national security law, basically saying that Hong Kong is no longer going to be considered a special place from the perspectives of the two powers that matter.
2: Now, back during the uh, umbrella protests, Carrie Lam, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, governor of Hong Kong. And she was walking this very, very fine tightrope between. On the one hand, saying yes, I agree with autonomy and democracy, and on the other hand, no, I don't want to to piss off China. Frankly, to the point where they march in, you know, the army marches in and starts shooting people. Uh, is my understanding of that and characterization of that accurate? And and who is in charge now, and what's going on?
3: Well, yeah, that's right. And Kerry Lam was the second in command to CY Leung, who is who was the chief executive. That, that's sort of the strange name that we have for the city's leader in Hong Kong during the Umbrella Movement. Um, you know, Carrie Lam is now the chief executive, but, but the chief executive has always had to try to balance the demands of uh, you know, the CCP, which again, sees Hong Kong as this capital outlet um, and inlet, and also uh, you know, try to abide by the basic law, which is the post-colonial agreement that governs Hong Kong, and actually specifies this promise uh, agreed to by both China and the United Kingdom at the time, uh, that Hong Kong would have universal suffrage, uh, that is, to say, three elections for the city's leader. So, you know, um, these uh, attempts at kind of balancing uh, all these different considerations fell apart uh, during 2014 in the Umbrella Movement. And what you've seen since then is just the steady increase in repression and uh, Beijing signaling more and more strongly that it's got no interest in any kind of democratic change uh, in Hong Kong. And now this really seems to be uh, the death of that dream.
2: The Thucydides trap that I referenced earlier was the notion put forward by, I think it was by Thucydides, you know, the Greek philosopher and historian who suggested that the point of maximum probability of warfare is when an existing, essentially, superpower, not a phrase he would have used, but essentially an existing superpower is in decline, and an emerging superpower is rising and has risen to or beyond the threshold of the economic and military capabilities of the receding superpower. And this is that flashpoint when history tells us countries go to war. The United States has clearly, since the 1980s, since we embraced Reaganism and austerity, been a, a superpower on the decline. And China, particularly since the United States uh, supported I mean, you know, a member of the World Trade Organization and gave them most favored nation status and all that kind of stuff it has been a right. power on the rise. Are we looking at the possibility of World War Three or at least a, a, a bilateral war between the United States and China if this continues? Or is it more likely that given the, this administration that China will simply they figure, OK, we've got six months until the election. We're going to march in. We're going to crack down. We're going to kill a bunch of people. It's going to be Tiananmen Square all over again. Repressment memory, repress dissent, and that'll be the end of that. And no war will come out of this, because Trump will just say, oh, that's okay with me. Just keep giving money to, you know, keep manufacturing Trump goods there, please, or something like that. What are your thoughts on this?
3: Well, you know, obviously this is not fun to think about, but it's something that as a Hong Konger I've been thinking about since for as long as I can remember, we've always been caught in between. And the scary thing is, this is probably the scariest moment in terms of this relationship that I can remember in, in, in my lifetime. You have conservative commentators already coming out and saying, with Hong Kong being swallowed up, we need to now send the U.S. Navy to Taiwan, kind of ramp up our presence there. And as we know, that's another major flashpoint for the U.S.-China relationship. I want to Kind of try to be hopeful, obviously, and and say that because of the massive economic interdependence that the U.S. and China still have, that this is ultimately unlikely. But I don't know if this is the moment to uh, to that that I that I feel super confident making that case, um, especially with uh, these mm-hmm. ramp ups of tension that you see from both sides amid the coronavirus pandemic. You know, like just what, like, these conspiracy theories being hurled back and forth over Twitter and, you know, these, uh, it's ridiculous. And um, there's, there's, there's not a lot of uh, incentive for either side to back down, which is really the scary thing uh, right now. And, um, you know, from a Hong Kong perspective, I, I think, right.
2: Yeah. In 2010, Trump repeatedly said that he thought that Obama was going to start a war with Iran in order to get himself reelected or or 2012, excuse me. Um, Might Trump welcome a war that he thinks he can have as a limited war with China? Is that a danger?
3: (laughs) Well, it's always a danger. And I can't speak to Trump's mindset. But, you know, the point I was just going to make is just that Hong Kongers are going to be the first to suffer if anything really happens, right? And I hope that won't be right. something like the Tiananmen Part Two that you're describing. But we just have to uh, try to tamp down I am, I am uh, very, this conflict as much
2: as yeah, we can. I'm with you. I'm very concerned about this. I was in Tiananmen Square one year before it happened. Wilfred Chan, he writes for The Nation. His piece, "The Infinite Heartbreak of Loving Hong Kong." This Hold on, just a is second, Wilfred. Tom Hartman, program. Well thanks so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Tom Harvin here with you. Kellyanne Conway paints a target. This is over at Raw Story, it's the headline. Kellyanne Conway paints a target on the back of the Twitter executive in charge of preventing disinformation. This guy, uh, his name is Joel Roth, and his job is actually to look out for things like you know Russian bots trying to influence elections, that kind of stuff. And uh, she is naming him, putting out his Twitter handle. I went over and followed him this afternoon just to see what's going on. He's the head of integrity, site integrity, in other words, for the whole site of uh, Twitter. We don't know if he has anything to do with these warnings on Donald Trump's lies, um, but you know, it's getting weird. And then you got Lori Claustus the former Scarborough staffer, this this young woman who died in his office in 2001 while in Florida, while he was in in uh, Washington D.C. And uh, Trump running around going, "Oh, maybe he killed her. Maybe he killed her," and. In response to this, this is kind of hysterical. There's this hashtag, Justice for Carolyn, which is trending. And uh, God, the tweet of God, at the tweet of God, God tweeted. And by the way, this is not true. I mean, it's true that God tweeted this or the person saying that he's God. But the assertion made here is not true. I'll just give you that right up front. Donald Trump killed his personal assistant, Carolyn Gomball in October 2000. He strangled her because he'd gotten her pregnant and was threatening to tell the press. Then he bribed NYPD Police Chief Bernie Carrick to cover it up. It's time to investigate. Justice for Caroline. And then Outer Dialogue replies, a lot of interest in this story about Matt Gates. So his roommate was reportedly found dead under suspicious circumstances while they were at FSU would you think there is more to the story? An affair between these two guys? What about the so-called investigator? Keep digging. Use forensic geniuses. And then Amy Brown goes, oh my God, there's nothing on her. She's talking about Caroline Gomble, a made up person. (laughs) There's nothing on the web. That's proof of the conspiracy, right? This is proof. We have proof now. So I don't think it's going to stick. I don't think it's going to be around very long, but what it does is it points out the absurdity of what Trump is tweeting. Perhaps more importantly though, and this is what should concern us all, China is making very aggressive moves in the region. And China's response to Hong Kong or China's behavior toward Hong Kong is looking really bad. I mean, this is, this is we're hearing the kind of language that we heard in the weeks leading up to Tiananmen Square. And this could be a flashpoint that could provoke a world war, particularly if they move from Hong Kong to Taiwan. And on the other hand, maybe not. Maybe you know, Hong Kong will just be another country lost to democracy, right? Uh, in Hungary, Viktor Orbán has pretty much destroyed democracy. In Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro is trying to destroy democracy. In Russia, Vladimir Putin, by and large, destroyed democracy. In in the Philippines. Uh, Duterte, Rodrigo Duterte has destroyed democracy in India. Prime Minister Modi is actively working to destroy democracy, has passed legislation that's turned it from a democracy into a theocracy, saying that Muslims aren't, you know, full citizens like Hindus are, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this just goes on and on and on from country to country. We're seeing all around the world, you know, back in the late nineties when Francis Fukuyama said this is the, you know, the end of history. In other words, the, you know, democracy is unstoppable and all that historic stuff of kings and theocrats and popes and and mullahs ruling the world, that's all gone. And the world is now going to be nothing but democracies. And then we got George W. Bush with a little help from the Supreme Court and his brother throwing 90,000 African Americans off the voting rolls in Florida. We got George W. Bush in 2001 and he lied us into a couple of wars and it was off to the races. And 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 he started the process of embracing autocratic regimes and having the United States behave like one. And now Donald Trump has put that process very much on steroids. Pardon my sneeze. And, and we are now facing a serious crisis, not just the crisis of he's gutted the EPA, he's, you know, the Interior Department's being run by a coal lobbyist, the EPA's being run by an oil lobbyist, the, the education department is being run by a woman who hates public schools and is working as hard as she can to privatize them. Um, you know, the Social Security Administration um, and Medicare Administration is being run by a woman, Seema Verma, who who uh, you know basically is in with the Republicans and trying to privatize them. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go through the list of all the crimes against democracy that are happening here domestically. Uh, our Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, so you've got rampant voter suppression specifically targeting black and Hispanic all over the United States, not just in the South as it used to be. Um, You know, thanks to John Roberts saying, oh, there's no more discrimination in America. Right. Tell that to to, uh, George Floyd's family. Um, It's just, it's like, we've got all this stuff, but on the world stage, there's this even larger possibility of disaster. And then you compound that with the coronavirus. Then you compound that with climate change. And we are desperately in this country right now, desperately in need of rational, reasonable, science based, compassionate, human leadership, which we do not have in the Republican Party or Donald You're Trump. You're
1: listening to the Tom Hartman program.
2: Call 202 808 9925. And for all these reasons, it is so important that you make sure that you are registered to vote and that you have applied for a a mail-in ballot, not a provisional ballot, a mail-in ballot for this fall. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman.
1: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
0: Edu
5: podcast.
2: George in Portland, Oregon. Hey, George, what's up? Thanks for listening to Xray FM.
5: Hi, Tom. You say we can't sue the, a sitting president. What about if we just use the language and we organize a massive get-out-to-vote program? We call it "Sue the Bastard 2020." It's a class action. <laughs> Everybody against Donald Trump. Let's get rid of. Well, you know, Paula sue
2: Jones the, sued Bill Clinton. And that led to his impeachment. I, you know, it's just that uh, Bill Clinton had, a, had an attorney general who was willing to enforce the law. And uh, Donald Trump has a, an attorney general who's willing to use the law to cover up Trump's crimes. And I, I would, I would argue those are Bill Barr's crimes. But.
5: Trump loves suing people. He, he's a litigious bastard. So let's just use the language. Sue the bastard. Yeah. Let's get rid of him.
2: There you go. OK, Thanks, it Tom. sounds like a plan. Yeah. Thank you, George. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's up? Speaking of crimes against humanity and stupidity, what are your thoughts on Trump's plans to uh, resume nuclear testing? It's a terrible example for the world. Trump has said he admires Kim Jong-un. This is Kim Jong-un kind of behavior, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't need to be testing these nukes any longer. We have supercomputers that can simulate all kinds of situations. We know how they work. We blew up a whole bunch of them in the air. It's why John Wayne, in all probability, and pretty much every other member of the cast and crew on that film that they were shooting out in the desert. When the uh, when the, the bomb, I think it was in Utah, went off uh, a couple hundred miles upwind from them, and well, uh, you know they all ended up with that. It's I, I believe it's one of the reasons why there's an epidemic of thyroid in, uh, insufficiency, um, you know, among particularly among women, but among people in the United States, the most widely prescribed drug in the United States right now is thyroxine or synthroid. Uh, it's a, it's a hormone to, to you know replacement hormone for the thyroid. The thyroid, of course gets whacked really hard by by uh, radioactive iodine, uh, which is the result one of the major results of these uh, above ground nuclear tests. Uh, whether he's going to do it above ground, below ground, I, I don't think it matters. I think that it's Donald Trump trying to he, he's looking for ways to seem strong. I mean, here's this guy, who on Memorial Day could not stand still because the lifts in his shoes were tilting him forward. The girdle that he's wearing to hold his belly in was pulling him back. Um, He he was trying to hold a salute, but he was trying to be very careful not to touch his face because he didn't want to smear his makeup. And and he feels like he's got to show that he's a manly man. So, hey, let's talk about nuclear weapons. I think it's pathetic, frankly. I just think it's pathetic. Jonathan in Portland. Hey, Jonathan. What's on your mind? Hi,
6: Tom. Wanted to remind folks about what Michael Flynn was all about before he became national security Advisor. And you probably already know this, but he was negotiating with the Russians to build nuclear power plants uh, throughout the Middle East, 45 nuclear power plants. And today, just two hours ago, Al Jazeera is reporting that Saudi Arabia is close to finishing their first reactor. And Ben Salman has is on record in twenty eighteen as saying that they want to develop a bomb if Iran's going to do it. So right. Flynn is crazy. You know, Flynn is just out of his mind besides being great. Well, I think he I was mean,
2: just I think he was just following the money. I mean, you know, Turkey gave him a half million bucks. I, I didn't know about his negotiating for these nuclear reactors. Was that on behalf of Turkey? I mean, who uh, no, was he no, part no. Of that a, was
6: working with the Russians, and it's it's well reported on. You can read it, in, you know, the mainstream press. But it, it really has been downplayed. You know, no one's really talking about it. But as far as I'm concerned, that was really the most egregious thing that he did. He was, he was just just wanted to make money building nuclear power plants and just pouring gasoline right. on a fire in the Middle East.
2: Is the Saudi reactor an American design or a Russian design? No, no. It's
6: it, I don't know what the design is, but it's almost completed, and they are not a member of the IAEA, so there's no inspections. Um, right. Great article on it now in Al Jazeera. Arms control experts concerned by Saudi nuclear reactor push. I'll check and, that. And um, you know, the, the, his, his lying to the White to Pence, which was why he was fired, I guess, and investigated. Mm-hmm. That's the least of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, thank you. Chris in Middlefield, Massachusetts. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today?
0: I sure. guess it centers around some confusion as to our military and its role. Um, I, I believe our president is supposed to protect the population. But what is the, the military's <laughs> role? Do they, do, do they only protect us at the Emmet? enemy is outside the border? What if we have the enemy on the inside of the border?
2: Uh, define enemy. Are you talking about uh, sedition or our are you government. talking about viruses?
7: Uh, I'm talking about our, our government, our present government.
1: Yeah.
2: I, e. I the, th- you know, the I, I, I think, Sure. Generally speaking, I mean, you know, it's it's the duty of the federal government, uh, at least the executive branch, to execute the laws. Uh, there's no place in the Constitution, to the best of my knowledge, where it says that the goal, the job of the president is to keep America safe. But, you know, if Congress is passing appropriate legislation and if the White House, if the executive branch is executing that, that is putting those laws into, fa- into place and managing a national, uh, you know, the, 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 the whole federal response, then that would be the consequence of it. And so, you know, that's, that's where we need to, that's where we need to work uh, as we're moving forward. Chris, thanks for the call. Annie in Watertown, Wisconsin. Hey Annie, thanks for listening to the RRD, what's up? Our Supreme
0: Court went from one of the finest admired ones to just dirt, but the last gal that ran, she had a picture taken in orange hunting, but this guy, Dan Kelly, one of his campaign photos, he's holding an AR-15. So what that has to do with being a
1: judge,
2: well, this is the guy that Donald Trump just tweeted out of saying, you know, protect your Second Amendment rights. Vote for I don't I'm, I don't even want to say this guy's name on the air, but vote for him. Um, and, he, you know, he called him out by name. I, I'm with you, Annie. i I'm I'm disgusted by the whole thing. Um, But, you know, the NRA is pushing hard for this, Uh, he's their guy, it's four to two on the state Supreme Court right now, conservatives to liberals, and uh, if he loses, it becomes three to three, and that, that effectively cripples their ability to use the Supreme Court to legislate essentially in Washington. Tom, in Jerusalem, Israel. Hey, Tom, thanks for watching us all the way over there on YouTube. Yeah, how, hi. How you doing?
8: I think we know what the worst case scenario, which is a Great Depression type of scenario. I'll give you what I hope is the better one. A hundred years ago, when the Spanish flu came out, essentially states stepped up and did a lot of the um, enforcement of you know, dealing with the epidemic, basically the federal government was putting a, a damper on news about it because troops were going off to World War One. As a matter of fact, you had forts and troop ships that were absolute charnel houses. The reason it's called the Spanish Flu is because the Sp- Spain was neutral, and that was the first place that the news came out about the Spanish Flu. So I'm hoping that.
2: And it went there from Kansas. Like- and, and, and let me... Yeah, let me add real quickly, Tom, yeah. to, to your, uh, to sure, your sure, data sure. stream here. I uh, saw in the local yeah, newspaper yeah. here, the Oregonian recently, a story from 1918 about two guys who okay. refused to wear masks during the Spanish flu, oh, boy. and they were arrested and prosecuted, and the jury let them off, and one of the guys in the jury was wearing a towel around his head that he'd cut slits for his eyes and mouth wow. on, and, uh, and okay. several other members of the jury refused to wear masks. So guess what? Everything is new again. Back to you, Tom.
8: Okay. I would, if I was the governor of Wisconsin, I would mobilize the national guard since Trump wants to bring out the liberate people. I would say, look, I have, I have a revolt going on. And then he kicks it up from the state Supreme court. That's dominated by the conservatives up to the Supreme court. And I think the governors need to just go toe to toe and you know, face the president down. Say we have an emergency. You want to get a rebellion going? Okay, fine. We're going to deal with it. I'm afraid that's it. And then you're, hopefully you're, it'll just last a year, like the panic of 1920, yeah. 1919, 1920. Anyway, that's
2: it. Well, and what happened with the Spanish flu was it simply mutated into a less virulent or a less deadly variety. Um, well, yeah. You know, which flu, yeah, which the flu, which the flu does. I' could just heard. I, you know,
8: heard yeah. Herd, it know, was not immunity. just herd
2: immunity. It was it was an actual mutation of the virus. But but um, you know that's. I'm curious. You, you, you know you're there in one of my favorite cities, Jerusalem. How is Israel dealing with this?
8: <laughs> oh God, um, very very patchwork. Um, basically, what happened was even though Netanyahu is an idiot, what they did was they got the head of the Ministry of Health, who wasn't a doctor, and they basically put him in a corner and got the number two to actually, this guy grotto to come up and actually start taking it seriously and even though it's piecemeal, essentially it's only like two hundred and I forget, like it's under two hundred and fifty deaths and they're starting to be able to open up. But the key is you have to have testing. You must have testing. Mm-hmm. There's not gonna be tested in Israel a, Yes, uh, it's pretty wide. It's not perfect, but it's pretty wide. Um, and the you know, social system who this other idiot, uh, the ultra-orthodox guy, basically was putting the money over to his organizations, and that's why the hospitals were so overwhelmed here. But at least things at the very last minute, people started to take it seriously. And so we didn't have as bad as we, you know, like Iran or something like that. It, hopefully yeah. that'll give yeah. you the information.
2: Good. Glad to hear it. Uh, Tom, thank you very much nice for the to call. Hear it's great to hear from you. Bob in Naples, Florida. Hey, Bob, what's up?
7: History is not going to be kind to Trump and his administ- administration, but they're shameless. They really don't care as long as they're in power. That's all that matters to them. When CBS asked a question to William Barr, and report, the reporter asked her. Uh, she asked him, uh, "Is history going to be kind to you, uh, to meaning to him or his administration?" And Bill Barr's response was, "History will remember us as the winners. That's all that matters to them. As the winners." Right. And then he kind of right. laughed. I mean,
2: well, and Trump was re- once asked something like that, Bob, and he said, "I'll be dead. I don't care." Or words. To yeah, the
7: exactly. They're, they're, they're shameless, and and their goal is, is they don't care. Like. They cheat, they lie. I mean, whatever it takes. I mean, they even they—they're they, willing to throw their even their friends and if they don't agree with them under the bus, they don't care. All they care is, is money, power, and and that's all it that matters. Just like uh, yeah, although when in 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 we study history, like Harding, Kuhl, Kutlitz, uh Herbert Hoover, Hitler, Franco, and Mussolini, they—they—they they, they, they were in power because they cheated, and they care they, they have to kill that. So be it, and, and that's their weapon of the choice. That's all that matters. Yeah, I'm Being not sure power-
2: that, that Hoover was in power because he cheated. But, but you know, I get your point, and that's absolutely what they're doing. And that's well, why Trump is screaming about Michigan sending out uh, applications for absentee ballots because he knows that if the majority of people vote, he's going to lose. And the bet that he's making right now is that in November, Republicans will be brave and fearless, and they'll go to the polling places, and Democrats are still going to be worried about getting COVID-19, particularly those people over 60 who are concerned about Medicare and Social Security, and they're not going to go out and vote, and so he's therefore going to win, because he's got a bunch of you know younger white yahoos who are going to vote, go, go and vote for him. So we'll see. We'll see, Bob. But I think you're right. I think you know your assessment that history is not going to be kind to them, spot on. Dave in Manhattan, New York. Hey, Dave, what's up?
9: Hey, how you doing? Um, You've spoken many times about how cynical Republicans are in that they don't necessarily believe, you know, what they uh, uh, project, you know, on, uh, online or on TV. Sure. Um, and, you know, they're opportunists, and this is about being prominent, making money, etc. But I always wonder, behind the scenes, what are they saying? I mean, if I were a, you know, a fly on the wall or a fellow traveler and I said, oh, God, can you believe, you know, what we're getting away with? Can you believe people are, are still believing all the nonsense? Since we spew, would, you know, what would you know? Would they say that? I mean, are they, you know, do they say, "Gee, I, I thought Trump was going to be bad, but I didn't think he was going to be this bad"? Yeah, and, and or are they just? I can't believe they're as self-deluded and or as crazy as uh, they might be, and that this is just, you know, it's just opportunism.
2: I, you know, David Stockman uh, talked about that. He wrote a book, uh, basically apologizing for the time that he was Reagan's budget director. That's right. And yeah, and he and he made the point. I mean, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush knew that Reaganomics was BS. He he, in, during the primary, he called it out. He said it was voodoo economics. He said, that, mm. you know what, you know what, he he uh, suggested these weren't his exact words, but the implication or the 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 import of them was that Ronald Reagan wanted to take America back to the Roaring Twenties you know, the Mm. the policies of Harding and Coolidge and Hoover, and those policies ended in disaster. Yes, they made rich people very, you know, fabulously rich, that's why it was called the Roaring Twenties, and they wiped out a lot of working class people. Wages, working class wages actually declined in the 1920s, while rich people got richer, which is exactly what's happened since 1981. And and so Stockman called that out and said, yeah, these guys know what's real, and they're BSing you on behalf of their donors. It's all about power and money. And I yeah, and would I think, I bet that that's still a case.
9: Yeah, and I think that's that's worse. I mean, you know, you can you can only yeah. blame somebody so much for genuinely believing something, no matter how nutty it is. But when they they, they know it's not true and they pretend it is, I mean, that's just uh, that's just so destructive and 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 you know and and uh, objectionable.
2: It's yeah. it's yeah, no, it really is. It's it's hypocrisy writ large, Dave. You, you're absolutely right. Damon in Las Vegas. Hey, Damon, what's on your mind today?
10: Yeah, uh, Tom, I wanted to thank you for bringing up the uh, deplorable, disgraceful situation with this uh, Republican clown, Thomas Maudley. The only reason this guy is a, uh, acting secretary of the Navy is he's an investment banker who gave a lot of money to Trump's uh, presidential campaign. Uh, this guy and the president that uh, put him in there could not carry the piss bucket of Commander Captain and Commander Brett Crozier. Uh, it, there's a, there's a much bigger thing going on here than just uh, this disgraceful situation yesterday where, where Modely flies 8,000 miles. And by the way, if anybody with the Democratic administration had done this, the Republicans like Rand Paul would be screaming about the cost. But he goes 8,000 miles not only to trash Crozier, but to trash the men and women that serve on the aircraft carrier who cheered Crozier when he walked off the carrier last week after he had been he had been fired but as i said this goes much much further mm. and i'd just like to read really quickly two sentence paragraph from the new york times like much of the trump administration what began as a seemingly straightforward challenge the arrival of coronavirus on board a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier has now engulfed the military leading to far-reaching questions of undue command influence and the demoralization of young men and women who promised to protect the country at its heart, this crisis aboard the Theodore Roosevelt has become a window into what matters and what does not in an administration where remaining on the right side of a mercurial, I would say, back crap crazy, mercurial president is valued above all else. If this guy gets reelected, you're going to see a situation where all of the people in the military are going to be required to sign a loyalty oath to the dear leader and this this is endangering our national security this is big stuff
2: yeah I, i completely agree with you russ and and uh you know donald trump uh, doesn't care about the military except that you know to, to the extent that he can use them as props for his reelection. Really, he doesn't care about anything or anyone except himself and his own in his own political future. And Russ, thank you. It, it, I, apparently, I was just looking at our delay. Apparently, it's up to three seconds right now. This is a how how heavily loaded the internet is as, as a consequence of that. So you know when I put you on the air, just assume you're on the air and just start talking like Russ just did. He just did a great job to finish your rant and then toss it back to me. Uh, you know, we all have to make some compensations here as we wander into this, uh, or as we are thrust into this uh, worldwide pandemic. Something that uh, you know—it's like out of a Michael Crichton novel. You know, it's like who, who would have imagined? It's like we're all we're all hiding in our houses because the wolf is out there ravaging the countryside, or the zombies. You're listening
1: to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
2: Bill in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Bill, you wanted to tell us about your experience of Franco? Yes. I was there in 1972 at the time. Um, I think he
11: was sickly. I was in Madrid. And uh, he was already sort of a joke. Most people didn't want to talk about him. He had, um, uh, he had uh, established what was called the uh, Valley of the Fallen, which was supposed to be mausoleum for all of the Republican uh, soldiers who had died during the uh, Spanish Civil War. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when democracy returned to Spain a couple of years ago, I guess, uh, I read that in October 2019, his body was exhumed from the mausoleum and buried at a family pot about 30, 35 miles away. So right. uh, one of the things that the, the, uh, the, the prime minister of Spain indicated was that, um, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, we, can't be having, we can't be honoring a dictator um, like Franco uh, now that we're a democracy. So there is hope. Uh, if we can last long enough, we can go ahead and try to recover from any damage that
2: uh, fascism does. Uh, so I just wanted to share look that at the thousands of people who called. died in the Spanish Civil War and all the people of Franco imprisoned and tortured. I mean, that was that was. He wasn't quite as brutal toward the end, you know, in the '60s and '70s, but certainly through the '30s and '40s, his his rule was Stalin esque, was it not? Oh, it was, and uh, he was already in
11: disgrace towards the end of his life. Uh, I think basically. The average Spaniard was probably just hoping he would just depart the scene, so they could go ahead and rebuild their country. I think that was that's, that's the that's the feedback I received when I was there uh, in, in '72. So, um, uh, and they finally did, you know, it took him another thirty, forty years, but they finally went ahead and rejected him. And the final insult, I guess, uh, to his legacy was actually having it exhumed and taken out of the mausoleum uh, and sent away to a family plot so that they could just forget about him. Yeah.
2: So I just want to share that stuff. with you. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I That's appreciate good. that. All right. uh, thank, if, you thank you. Thank uh, Rich in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hey, Rich, what's up? Are they still making uh, chocolate there? I was near one of the other plants in the town of Elizabeth a Mars plant. The other day when I drove through it, I could smell
4: chocolate. So somebody's making chocolate. Uh, There
1: you go. So
4: anyhow, uh, what I wanted to bring up, and I was just looking from a suggestion from you, uh, it seems to me we need to somehow improve the impeachment process, because right now it depends on, to a great deal, the integrity of the Senate, and if you've got a bunch of uh, Republicans or Democrats in the future who lack a backbone and lack integrity... We're going to be we could be stuck with this guy for a long time. I truly believe he could literally shoot someone and Republicans say, well, the self-defense, you know, and so on. And I'm just wondering, my thought would be to move it from a legislative
2: um, endeavor to a judicial endeavor. Your thoughts, please. I think that if you do that, you're providing oversight of the executive in the judicial branch rather than the executive, rather than the legislative branch. And it really needs to be in the legislative branch. The whole idea, um, uh, Jefferson wrote a fascinating letter about this to Major Cartwright back in the, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was in, 18, in the late 1820s, um, in which he talked about how his idea, and not just his, obviously, you know, uh, collectively, the founder's idea was that Power needs to be concentrated at the ground, at the at the lowest level possible. And he suggested that the most powerful political entity in the United States should be the individual wards, what we would today probably call counties or congressional districts or precincts. Sure. and that and that um, these wards would make the decisions for the counties, and the counties would make the decision for the states and the states would make the decision for the federal government. and and power would flow from the bottom up and that's why they when they wrote the constitution article 1 requires every single member of the house of representatives stands for re-election every 2 years period full stop no matter what and right. because that's the that's the body that's the branch that's closest to the people and that's why that's the branch not only where all spending has to originate not only where all taxation has to originate but also where impeachments have to originate they have to start in the house and so, and then they go to the Senate. And you know, I think your 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 historical perspective is absolutely accurate, in my opinion. Andrew Johnson should have been removed from office. He was a, he was probably one of our worst presidents. Although we have a new contender, um, and and, mm-hmm. and and Bill Clinton, no, I, you know, I, I mean that was the, the whole Bill Clinton thing was just you know Newt Gingrich uh, feeling his oats. But um, mm-hmm. Trump should have been removed from office. But I don't think that get, you know moving it out of the Senate and into the into the uh, the Supreme Court or into the federal court system would be the way to do it. Um, I I think we just need to have a little more political accountability, and hopefully, Donald Trump, you know, being as terrible a president as he is, uh, has revealed these things to to the American people, and maybe the next time the Senate will take it a little more seriously. Rose in Chicago. Hey, Rose, what's on your mind today?
0: I wanted to ask you, do you think that Trump's solid voting block of farmers will stick with them during and even after this pandemic like they did back, even when many of them were facing bankruptcy and even losing their farms during his stupid trade wars? I mean, it was unbelievable back then. Many of them that were interviewed said they would vote for him again when they were losing their farms. Do you think they'll stick with them this time?
2: Probably Rose. The factor, the variable that's always missing from these equations when they're discussed in the media is the power of Fox News and right-wing hate radio. The ability to basically create a cult around grievance. Um, you know grievance about uh, black people you know Trump is refusing to to uh, to to hang Obama's new picture in the White House I mean he, it may go up on the wall someplace but traditionally there's a ceremony where they do it he's refusing to do that uh, our first black president it's just like this this uh, largely racialized grievance that they sell on right-wing hate radio and on Fox News is Can I you a powerful question about powerful Congress? stuff sure go for it
0: just because um, I don't have cable or satellite TV, I know it's hard to believe, Never, so I've never really seen Fox News. I guess I'm one of the lucky ones, mm-hmm. maybe. So I wanted to ask you maybe about that. Did the, the Trump followers that watch only that, do they not even hear yes. stories or see any of the images of the ventilators or the refrigerated trucks being used as temporary morgues, or do they see it and just blow them off as fake? I mean, I don't like I said, I've never seen it, so was it just political pundits all day, or is there any... It's a little
2: bit of both, Rose. It's a little bit of both. It's mostly, you know, those kinds of stories are mostly completely missing over on Fox and on right-wing hate radio. And when they are uh, shared, they're shared as the exceptions to the rule or as examples of, oh, it's just black people dying. And by the way, black people are dying disproportionately. Uh, Or it's just old people who are dying. And again, they are dying disproportionately. And so, wow. you know, their spin on all this is you don't have to worry about this if you're white or if you're under 60, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But one of the things that's interesting about that is that Trump's support among people over 60 right now is collapsing. And I think it's collapsing largely because that is the message that they're trying to push out there. Rose, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's nice to hear from you, Rich in Cedro Woolly, Washington. Hey, Rich, what's on your mind today?
11: Hey, a couple of things real quick, apropos of your letter to Fred. Uh, I would call Republicanism, Reaganism, but especially now Trumpism, the politics of projection. Take, for yeah. example, uh, Steve Pelosi asked for X million dollars to help out these, the states. And the Republicans say, oh, you're just going to give that to all your rich friends. Well, that's right. what they would do. You know, the yep. um, other question actually, it was a question for PoH earlier today, but uh, is there a way that the House or the Congress can change the definition of small business from not based on number of employees, but more on, say, gross income or even payroll?
2: Well, Congress can do anything they want, you know, in, in in making these definitions. I'm with you, though. I you know I remember uh, Louise and I back in the '80s were, or in the '90s. Uh, we owned a travel or an ad agency, excuse me, an advertising agency in Atlanta. We owned a travel agency before we sold that, um, and this and then we started an ad agency. And the ad agency had I think probably 13, 14 employees, something like that. We were we were uh, you know a small business. We were uh, large for small ad agencies. Most are two and three person shops, the small ones. Um, but um, you know, and so we were doing pretty good, good sized business. But uh, I, I wanted to expand the company. I wanted to buy some equipment. Actually, I wanted to buy some typesetting equipment that cost about a hundred grand. And so I went to my bank and I said, "Can I get a small business loan?" And he says, "No, you're too too small. You know, <laughs> to be a small business, <laughs> to be defined as a small business under the SBA, you have to have, and I forget what the criteria was, but I think it was something like fifty employees or something like that." And, and uh, you know, our company was just too small. And, we, you know, we had, a, we had a gross income that was, you know, uh, well over a million dollars a year, but it, it just, you know, uh, it wasn't enough. So uh, I, I think the, the, you know, small businesses really are the heart and soul of this country, at least traditionally have been. And that's why I wrote this book on monopolies, which is coming out in a month and a half, the hidden history of monopoly, who stole the American dream or how big business, you know, destroyed the American dream. And uh, it's it's an issue that we need to be addressing. and I, and I agree with you that uh, you know, redefining small businesses would be a good start, Mark. in Cosa Mesta, California. Hey, Mark, what's up?
4: I was going to talk to you about what this Seth Ason just talked about. I wanted to make a, a brief comment about that and also about the cages uh, for for the immigrants, if I, if I could. Uh, they're, sure. they're, they're, they both are connected. I believe, you know, because I always go on the premise that that that, that, that Trump just cares about uh, uh, himself, Trump and and money and power. Though he doesn't really care about us, our health. He doesn't care about. He, he's not worried about uh, people coming across the border and, and hurting us. But, but the cages, and and uh, I, I think he's financially. You know, like, like Seth is, is going to bring out in his book. I think every uh, Democrat in, in the Senate, after they have the majority, have the majority, should should get this book, and and, and use it as a as, as a
11: <laughs> a checkoff list.
2: Yeah. And we need to look into whether Trump is invested in these private for-profit prison companies that are getting seven hundred bucks a day to keep children in cages. Yes,
4: I I, I totally agree. But you know those cages. I mean, and and I, I think he, you know, just like what uh, Mr. Averson was saying about uh, he, he's getting the money somehow, you know, whether it's sure. in, it, into his uh, he's, 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 he's he's it's what's his what's in it for me is is what Trump says. Uh, and it's like he's getting that money somehow. But but the cages, they they aren't going to go away. Whoever's making money and Trump making money on the seven hundred dollars a day per person for per cage. I, my, my prediction is those those it's going to be. It, 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 this could all lead to really uh, a, a monstrosity. Like they, these cages aren't going to go away. They, they, we, they could be used for left-wing uh, political peaceful rallies. Use those buses, gather them up, put them in the cages. To you know, seven hundred dollars a day uh, per person, uh, waiting
2: for their yeah. time in court.
4: And, and, this is what happened in Germany
2: Mexico. in the 30s, in the mid 30s. They started arresting. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, they didn't start arresting Jews. They started arresting trade unionists and people who were members of the Communist Party. That's where it started.
4: Yes, I, and and I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not connected with anybody for this intelligence. I'm I'm 74 years old. I'm I'm, I'm housebound. I have my brain has way way too much time to think, and, and what what I what I feel, is that uh, you know we we can someday have. People come to our doors. If the people that are that are bad mouthing Trump and other things on, on Facebook can be mm-hmm. can be uh, taken away seven hundred dollars a day, waiting for day court. I, I, you know, it could it can come to that. I, I really feel watch like... what
2: you tweet, watch what you post. Is that what you're saying?
4: Well, I, 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 we're living in a country where we can, but we have to maintain it. I, I think yeah. because uh, Trump, Trump he, he, he sees these things we say, he sees, he sees the, the cartoons and he sees what we say, and he tries not to. Mm-hmm. he tries to, to listen to people that just tell him how great he is, but uh, he, he, he's, part of what he does in life is get even. You know and, and, and if, yeah. if, if he has control of Facebook and, and uh, he can start getting even with people somehow.:
2: I agree. I agree, Mark, and it concerns me tremendously because I'm probably at the top of that pile or among the people at the top of that pile that he would want to come after. I haven't let it shut me up, but it does wake me up in the middle of the night occasionally. Mark, thank you for the call. We'll be right back.
1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
9: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash
1: metaverse impact.
2: Jerry in Arizona. Hey Jerry, in uh, Yucca, Yucca, Arizona. Hey Jerry, what's on your mind?
1: I was just uh, kind of wondering and I've talked to a lot of people out here where I'm at, kind of a pretty rural area, but uh... I don't know what's up with the Republican Party anymore. I don't really think it's uh, the Republican Party. It's more like the Tea Party or the party of Trump. But uh,
10: yeah.
1: I've mentioned to uh, people and whatnot, you know, my disdain against uh, the government and the way it's going. And I think we've got some real problems and whatnot. And it seems like no matter who I talk to, it's like. Those are fighting words. If you don't have anything good to say about Donald Trump, you better watch out and get out of the way. The only reason why I'm mentioning this is I keep hearing over and over about how this state is turning purple, and uh, but you know, out on the street, I don't see it at all.
2: Hmm. So uh, you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of maggots and Trumpies and stuff. Well, you don't even uh, have to see them. All
1: you have to do is mention it, you know? I mean, uh, we're talking about people that don't wear a MAGA hat or or say anything, but if you say anything that slightly even sounds like you're uh, against the the way the government's operating right now, it's almost like you're in the wrong state.
2: Well, that's interesting. I would keep saying it, Jerry, unless, you know, unless you're concerned about ending friendships or getting in fistfights. Uh, you know, I, I think part of the process of, of causing people to change their mind is having them realize that they don't represent the consensus opinion.
1: No, I understand that. And I've, you know, I've tried to reiterate that, but uh, it, it's just like they, they it's almost as if, I mean, they must watch Fox News so much that they have a closed mind.
2: I mean, they're not willing to
1: even discuss anything that's halfway reasonable. And, uh, you know, I kind of go back to this thought where, uh, you know, when uh, Barack Obama was our president, um, they wouldn't let him do anything. I mean, he -hmm. got some things done, but almost everything that he tried to do, the Republicans put a stop to it. They wouldn't
2: hardly pass anything. Including appointing a new member to the Supreme Court.
1: Exactly. I mean, that was has never as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah. so what, what, what in my mind seemed to happen was is the people got tired of the government not working. And that was one of the mm-hmm. things that they kept harping about how the Republicans were going to get our government working again and blah, blah, blah. Well, right. the only thing that this uh, administration has done that I can see is dismantle our government. And they're continuing to do that on a daily basis.
2: <clears throat> Excuse me. So when you bring up something like that with one of your friends there in Arizona, how do what do they say?
1: Oh, well, they just they get real offensive right off the bat.
2: Oh, he's like, whoa! Don't talk happened. like Trump. You know, do uh, they dispute they, the they facts or do they?
1: No, they just come up with this stuff like uh, he's the best thing that's ever happened to this country. And he's got, he's got—he's you know, he's got to go and he's to stand up and tell people the truth instead of all this really uh, mouth-blowing, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, I get it. Jerry, thanks for the call. Wow. Uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Keep talking, though, and uh, call back in a, in a few weeks and let us know what, what is going on george in portland hey george what's up
5: hi tom i'm feeling like uh the grift and the lies and the corruption and the corporate takeover of our government is so complete at this point that the republican party is actually really proud of it they're they're openly Mm -hmm. throwing it in our faces and if they can own the libs i think that's more important than you know, the Constitution to the electorate, it's, it's all about owning the lives. It's, it's a game. They've made a blood sport out of it. Mitch McConnell obviously had a hand in that. And um, yeah. to your theory about uh, the election, I feel like there's quite a bit of time between now and then for for a lot of people to die. And, and you know, despite the fact that, you know, Republican voters are going to either die or lose loved ones. You know, I I wonder if they're going to start to realize that they've been had.
2: Yeah, we're two and a half months since the first deaths here in the United States, and we're at 100,000 or will be shortly. Um, I'm thinking by the end of the year, we're going to at least be at a quarter million and we might be at a half million, depending on how extensively this whole, you know, open the country back up thing um, you know, goes. And, and yeah, the Republicans are, are, are bragging about their corruption. You had, you know, Mitch McConnell in, in the Senate saying, oh, you know, if, if, uh, if, if something happens to one of the Supreme Court justices, we'll replace them, you know. But whereas, you know, four years ago, five years ago, it was like, oh, we can't do that in the last year of a presidency. You know, you just can't do that. And, and it's just there, you know, and, and then, you know, Kelly Loeffler, Uh, you know, uh, dumping her stock and her husband dumping his stock. I mean, this looks like it actually echoed out beyond uh, both her and Richard Burr. And uh, there may be other members of Congress, same thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Hey, she gave us a million dollar contribution. There's another story over on Raw Story right now about how one of the... uh, this guy owns a small company, he gives Trump a big contribution, and suddenly he gets a multi-million-dollar no-bid contract. And, you know, no-bid contracts, you get to make as much as you want to make. So, I mean, it's just its just crazy. It's just crazy. Um, George, thanks for the call. Raymond in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Raymond, what's up? Not much.
1: Um,
8: I think history is going to be kind to Donald Trump if he wins the election, because the victor gets to write the history. And history's just well, a that was, of by, elections. That was Bill Barr's there. point. Everybody agrees. Yeah. yeah. that was Bill so, point. so if he wins then as we, you said before it's game over for America and our democracy. Yeah. But if he loses then we get to write the history and then we can we will put the facts and the truth out.
2: Although, Raymond, I mean, think back to the 1980s. Ronald Reagan was not a particularly popular president through much of his presidency. He had two major recessions. He had the largest stock market crash since 1929. Um, He had major corruption scandals. Uh, it, it came out toward the end of his presidency that he had been involved in the, the whole Iran Contra scandal that was clearly um, a felony, uh, I mean, clearly illegal, impeachable offenses. And, and what happened was, after he went into you know, Alzheimer's retirement, uh, just vanished from the public view, a group of billionaires got together and created this thing called the Reagan Legacy Project. And they have now yep. erected a statue to Reagan or named a, a major building after Reagan in every single county in the United States and every single country in the world. And they have been working aggressively, you know, I mean, rewriting Wikipedia, rewriting history, so that, you know, Reagan's history, the, the bad sides of Reagan's history are largely ignored. So I, I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off again. It, it's troubling. Raymond, thank you for the call. Johan, we have 30 seconds at the end of the program. I heard about nursing homes in Arizona didn't get, those people didn't get proper care for COVID-19. Yes. It's happening yeah. all over the country. And, and really... in fact, uh, let me let me just give you a, a, a tip here with regard to that. David Steroda has a newsletter called Too Much Information. Judd Legum has one called Popular Information. I believe they have both reported on this not today necessarily, but one of them reported on it today, and I'm pretty sure it was David Sirota, but it might have been Judd Legum. So go to popular.info. The, the nursing home industry has spent millions of dollars lobbying Congress to eliminate their own liability so that they can't be sued. It's a, a mind-boggling story. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, tell your friends where to find progressive media. And be nice to yourself and the people around you. It is a tough time for all of us. We really need to reach out. Tag your head. You've been See listening
1: tomorrow. to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.